Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to what should be another fireworks-filled episode of the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. As always, you can find us on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. There you will find links to all social media pages, as well as streaming information. Today we have Patrick Martin from Baltimore on the, on the podcast. It's our first guest outside of Rochester or Buffalo, but as you will find out, he's got some connections to Rochester and Buffalo that we'll dive pretty deeply into. So without further ado, how you doing today, man? I'm great, man. How are you? Can't complain. As I told you before, I went for a bike ride around the area, so I'm a little tired from that. Um, yeah, I wish I had done that today. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty cool. I met uh, met up with my girlfriend's son in the middle of the ride, so we had dinner uh, on the yeah. lake, which it was cool, but it kind of made me lazy for the rest of the ride, so, you know. Yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. You got out there. That's what counts. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll dive in, though. So, uh, let's let's backtrack a little bit. Um, I first met you, I think, around, like, 2000, maybe 2001, um, yeah. but I'm guessing you had been involved in punk and hardcore and stuff like that uh, before that, so kind of describe, you know, what brought you into all that. Yeah, uh, I grew up in like i've lived in maryland my entire life i I lived in baltimore for over 20 years now but uh when i grew up i lived on a place called kent island which is probably about 45 50 minutes out of baltimore like if you're going towards going towards like the eastern shore and the ocean and stuff like you pass through it on your way there but uh i grew up there my parents for some reason decided to send me to private school which was probably maybe smart i don't know (laughs) that's probably debatable to anyone at this point but uh I wound up going to Archbishop Spalding High School in high school, and that was around the time when like, like Nirvana had been a thing, which was probably like my first like real introduction into like, quote underground music or whatever at the time, even though it was on radio. But uh, like I'd had like Metallica tapes and stuff, and like grew up on hair metal. But then that obviously made its way to like Green Day and Offspring, and then like kind of finding punk from there. When that happened, like friends of mine that I went to school with were also kind of getting into music and that eventually led to me doing the first band I did when I guess I guess we probably started playing together when we were like late 14 maybe like right when we turned 15 and just like kind of like played Ramones covers and stuff in the basement like drove our bass player's mom absolutely crazy I'm sure but uh and then eventually I think I probably played my first show when I was like 15 maybe and that band was called Code Blue because we had, we all had bought the same West Coast punk sampler or like compilation and that TSOL song was on there. So we took our name from that. Obviously we wound up covering that song. That's a no brainer. And then, yeah, that's kind of where it got, where it got going. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I actually went to a, a Catholic school pretty much for most of my upbringing up until like ninth grade when I, I got purposely kicked out. So I go to city schools. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I played in my, my well I didn't play very many bands and I don't really talk about them on the podcast very much because they both sucked but um the the first punk band I was in was around the same time like 96 and one, one of my best friends who's gonna be on a future episode uh him and I kind of got into punk together uh similar you know uh listen to Nirvana like when they were popular and then I remember when Rancid and Green Day and, and Offspring were getting really popular we were in eighth grade and uh I don't know what he wrote on a piece of paper but he actually wrote me like some weird note one day and he signed it noodles 
like the guy from Offspring or whatever. Uh, he he probably forgets that. He'd probably be embarrassed if I if he hears this. But yeah, whatever. He will definitely not admit to that story. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, too late because it's gonna be on here now. That was my first experience into like anything band related, and it actually lasted like for a while. Like we, as far as like shitty high school local bands go, we did like fairly well. That was like how I, that was how I learned to book shows. That was how I learned to book tours. Like for being that young. I mean, I guess I always just had that mindset that like just doing a local band to play at a VFW, like I I can't be like a weekend warrior dude. Like I can only do it where I'm doing it as like a full bore thing, even if it's not touring all the time, but like I can only do it where I have to hit like the highest point possible. I just couldn't be like in a cover, cover band that plays dive bars on the weekend three times a year, you know? So did that original band ever play outside of Baltimore? Were you guys mostly just doing like local stuff at that point? Uh, we did a handful of shows outside of town. The ones, the only ones I remember, I remember we did, uh, there was like, they told us it was a punk frat in Chester, Pennsylvania, whatever fucking college is there. But we played a show with the Boils and I want to say Violent Society, maybe, or no. It was the Boils in a band called Super High Five. And that was like the first out of town show we played. And then we played some other shows in Pennsylvania and like Northern Virginia and stuff, but no like real, no serious touring ever. Like that, weekend, I think we did like a weekend, maybe two at most, if, if even that. That's cool. Um, yeah, and then I guess when you and I first met each other, you were playing in the band Game Winner. I've lost a handful of, well, more than a handful of records over the years, but that's a seven inch I actually kind of held on to and still have. Uh, awesome. It stands the test of time. I like that record, man. So yeah. I but, don't even- <laughs> you don't even have one? Well, maybe we'll have to trade sometime. Um, I think Jeff Green in New Jersey has mine. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. So uh, pretty much everyone except for the bass player that was in Code Blue wound up being in Game Winner. Like when that band was getting towards the end, the bass player was into a lot more like pop punky stuff and started doing a band called the Heroin Addicts that were just a total Ramones, like, like Ramones style band that I also played in briefly. I think maybe I played a show playing bass in that band because our bass started played drums. And I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Like, by that point, I pretty much like seven seconds in Gorilla Biscuits were the only things I really cared about music-wise. And everybody else that was in Code Blue was on that team with me. So we're like, oh, let's start, let's start this like joke, like hockey-themed band. So my friend Nick that I worked with at the mall at that point, at Antion's Pretzels, which also will, That'll intersect here a lot too, because a lot of people came through working there to be in my life band-wise for some reason. But uh, my friend Nick worked there, and we're like, "Hey, let's do this band." So we started. It was just like a, it was the, the whole joke is that we hated mullet haircuts, so we were the anti-mullet youth crew. <laughs> it sounds really stupid now, like look, looking back on it, but it pretty much went from there. And it was like, oh, like we all love Youth of Today and Gorilla Biscuits. Let's just start a youth crew band. And then Alex DiMatessa, that now does Grave Mistake Records. I knew him from going to shows a little bit. He was buddies with Nick. So he joined. So it was me, him, the singer Nick Corpon, uh, Andrew Duffy, who also went into play in Desperate Measures later. And then Ryan Brown, who's in Code Blue as well. He also went on to play Embrace. And he did another band after that with those dudes, but I can't remember what it was now. But that was, that was how that started. And that eventually became a little more serious when we started like realizing we could like be a, a good band. 
And did you guys just put the one seven into it, or were there other releases too? Uh, we did a demo. Uh, we could have done two. My memory of that is not that great. I definitely remember doing one because I was living with the uh, No Justice guys at the time, so they all did like backups, and like a handful of other homies did stuff. But I want to say it was just the seven inch and a demo. There could be like another random song in there that came out on something, but I'm not positive. <laughs> Yeah, and you speaking of No Justice, that's one of those bands that, you know, they, they put that one seven inch out and they weren't they were around for a real short period of time it seems like, but they became pretty noteworthy, obviously. mostly obviously because of Timmy's crazy stage antics. But I mean, that's a band that if you saw them live, you'll never forget seeing them live, you know. So Oh yeah, I was we were so fortunate and probably took it for granted at the time, because like we would just go because it was nuts. And we would it was like we'd all just go get crazy. Like living with even living with Timmy. Living with, he was like the most chill dude to live with, which is surprising because you'd think he'd be kind of a maniac. But like I lived with him and Gene and uh, Trevor that played and Will Eisenhead also lived with us too. But pretty much any time they would play, we'd all just like hop in whoever's car and as many of us could get down to wherever they were playing, we'd all go and just act like idiots. Like I def when they did that Nerve Agents tour, I went out with them for a few days of that too. That was really fun. Yeah, I don't know if you made it up to the Rochester show that they played with them. Um, I did, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it was at the Bug Jar, which I'm guessing you probably would have been up there at least at the Bug oh, Jar yeah. at least once here. Um, I've been there. I never played there though. So there's like that that little bar that kind of connects with the, where the bands play, and I had a picture yeah. of my fanzine even. At one point, Timmy like dove off that bar onto people, and he was just like going so crazy. I mean, it's it's you know tip par for the course for having seen a No Justice show. You know, just seeing him go completely nuts. And, oh yeah. Perfect. You know, and that posse numbers. I think it was the year. Uh, 2000, where they brought the garbage from... Uh, the, the Taco Bell. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. I was part of the mission to bring the Taco Bell thing over there. And then I remember... They put me out of a shopping cart, and I split my shit open. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the next day, Good Clean Fun played, and uh, they were like, oh, please stop using the garbage, or diving off the garbage, or whatever. I was just like, okay, whatever. Um, yeah, but but sticking with Game Winner, I guess um, that's kind of where your Rochester connection comes in uh, for the most part. Yeah, for sure. We uh, the first shows that we played out of town, we did. It was like it was just like a weekend or whatever. It wasn't even a tour, but we played Western Mass on the Friday with Last in Line and Crash Davis. I want to say maybe, and it was a Halloween show and last in line like we're gonna try and make fun of us so they dressed like they were in youth of today to like kind of clown us a little bit and then they felt bad afterwards they're like oh you guys are like not dicks just sorry we feel bad it's cool like whatever but uh i also wound up becoming friends with them like later too and i was like yo i was in that band you made fun of by the way like oh shit dude I definitely worthy it's okay not to drink shirt to make fun of you and then you definitely drink i was like yeah whatever it's fine <laughs> and then the next day we played in syracuse with indecision i want to say that head-on played that show and that was how we met them and we wound up staying with yamiko after the show and the next day like whatever show we had fell through so we wound up playing with Standfast and Binghamton at a skate park the next day. But like we pretty much like everybody from both of those bands stayed at her place that night too. So there was just like a hundred people in her fucking like tiny apartment. 
because she lived like right down the street from Westcott, so we just stayed there. And that it, that was just like the beginning of like us being friends for fucking ever. Yeah, I have, I have, I think I was at that Indecision show. I mean, I definitely saw him play in Syracuse a few times, but I think, I think Sparkflex of Friction played that show too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he definitely did. Yeah, I, I thought I was at that show. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna play Pass play too, because that was how I met Raver Bob. Yeah, actually, I still have a flyer somewhere, so maybe I'll pull that out and post it when I post this interview. Um, yeah, I vaguely remember it. <laughs> but the Rochester connection was was so deep for you guys that you guys played. I don't know if you guys had already broken up and you played a few a few last shows, or if you were breaking up and playing a few last shows, but you played here. It was like a final we weekend did, type did. thing. It was the I guess it was the was it the last Stanfest show that we played? Maybe? I don't I don't think it was that because it was the winter and their last show was like uh like early summer, but it was around that maybe same it was the time last period. Head on show. It might have been. It was around that same time period. I know that. Um, it was St. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, there was a lot I of. I know that I was there for the last stand fest show. Maybe I didn't play. Maybe it just came up. Yeah, that show was pretty crazy too. I'm, I'm getting uh, uh, Brian and Rory I think, together. I definitely cried at that show for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't the only one. Oh um, no! Yeah. Yeah, those that that like that era, that whole era of Rochester was just so tight knit, and there was that just, was the best man. You know, I, used, I loved coming up there so much. Everybody was always so cool to us. Like anybody from Baltimore that came was always like, so like just embraced immediately. It was it was great. Yeah, and it's cool to see, like, those dudes have, like, gone on to other bands and just done oh, other yeah, things awesome. as, as adults, you know, so... Um, the, other, the other weird connection, too, going back to being in Code Blue, which you, you may not even know this, uh, the kid that played bass in Code Blue, his cousin is Dan Bress. Oh, really? So I've known Dan since he was, like, 12. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I know Dan's from Baltimore. I to his parents' house and, like, play Nirvana covers with him, like, as a kid, too. Yeah, I stayed at Dan's house one time because I want to say it was 2001 um, in Oleon, New York, which is like two hours south of here. Um, Stanfast was playing with Strike Anywhere. And then the very next day well, was one of those Super Bowl of Hardcores in D.C. Okay. Um, it was like Agnostic Front, uh, Bad Brains, which they didn't get to play was for very long. Was that the one where the kid got stabbed during AF? Yeah, so, so Bad Brains only played like a song and a half. and. Yep. Uh, HR was on stage wearing like a starter Charlotte Hornets jacket or whatever and just videotaping himself the whole time and I remember yeah, <laughs> Dan just kind of turned to me at one point because they just started playing Right Brigade and he's like I'll be right back you know so right. um, I do the same thing. that's probably my favorite bad band though yeah yeah they've, they've definitely gone on to become one of my favorite bands to the point where my son's name is uh, Hendrix Richard so oh, okay. yeah there's All definitely right. a connection there um but yeah no that was that was definitely a good time uh, that, that show was a lot of fun, even, you know, it sucks that somebody got stabbed, obviously, but I mean, the, yeah. you know, those kind of shows, there was a couple of years there where that was kind of par for the course, where there would just be, you know, violence and just, you no, know. There was literally every, every year that I ever, the, the ones that I went to, there was always like some wild shit that happened. Like I never remember we were getting in a fight, like near where the door was. I don't even remember what year it was. I think Madball played. But all I remember is like we're just like there's like fifty of us just like fighting and then I just see Timmy running down the stairwell and just jumps off on top of everyone. It just like topples everyone over. It was a fucking gong show. That might have been that might have been right after Madball got back together because uh yeah, it was like Madball Madball, Death Threat, and I think Chromax were supposed to play but they didn't. Because I remember at the end of that show, um somebody like somebody from from Baltimore, DC was like well, like, like running around outside trying to fight somebody and then it was just like like you said like just a, a flood of kids like i don't even know what happened you know i i was i couldn't tell you and i was you know, there <laughs> yeah um but yeah so i guess after uh game winner you kind of filled in for looks like rain for a little while and then you ended up uh joining that band full-time towards the end 
Yeah, uh, I don't remember. I think Kristen went to school or something, and like we had done, we were doing a tour together, and she couldn't go. And they were like, "Oh, do, like, do you mind learning the bass parts?" I was like, "No, it's fine." And then it kind of got accelerated that she left earlier, and I did. I definitely played shows on a weekend with them where I didn't even know the songs like hardly at all. Like I definitely was sitting outside of like a youth center in Virginia somewhere with Gus, just be like. All right, let's see how much of this I can actually retain in like the half hour before we play so we don't look like total shit when we play. Yeah, that's one of the fun parts about hardcore. I, I don't remember what the band was. I want to say, I don't know who it was, but I remember the drummer from, from the first step at one of those posi numbers. He like learned a band set like in like less yeah, than a half hour and ended up playing drums for him, you know? But I guess kind of sticking with Looks Like Rain, uh, you know, uh, Mike Riley ended up obviously doing some pretty some pretty cool stuff oh, after yeah. that. You who know? Like, yeah. I, like Mike's a, Mike's one of my favorite people in the world. Like after I after I moved out of that No Justice house, me and him lived together for a long time. But uh, he on like it's funny now because he'll he'll repost the flyers every day, and I, and he'll tag me in like every one. I was like, dude, a I don't know if I was in the band at this point, and b I can guarantee that I was in that room and I have no recollection of this show like whatsoever, even a little bit. Well, but yeah, like going on a point, teeth like. That was always the joke we made and looks like rain. It was like, oh, you're trying to fit a novel into like two minutes. Like, whatever. It was like, it was fine. Like, I'm not making making fun of him at all for it. And then like seeing pulling teeth and like, holy shit, dude, you were like commanding a room full of a thousand kids. And it's, it's, it was fucking so rad to see a friend of mine do that. Like, I was so psyched for him. Yeah, they definitely uh, were, ended up becoming a pretty noteworthy band in hardcore. You, you could definitely say that. Um, and it's funny because like him... And I'm sure you probably follow Rochester Hardcore History on Instagram. Yeah. Um, those, like, those, just seeing stuff like that was kind of what influenced me to start posting old flyers, and that's kind of what, what, uh, you know, made this this podcast happen. Basically, yeah. you know, I, I was posting the old flyers, and I was just like, man, you know, it'd be cool to start getting all these old people together and and just have conversations. And now it's kind of taken on a life of its own, which is pretty cool, obviously. You know, yeah, we're all, we have nothing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially during the quarantine, I'm I'm guessing as we'll get to in a little bit that you might still still be kind of under quarantine or whatever. Um, I mean, I've been working the entire time. Actually. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had like two and a half months off, and then you know they called us back at the end of May, and I was just like, man, I got this podcast now. I'm watching my son grow. Like, I'm not really ready to go back to work. You know, fam, this is the yeah. best. I gotta go back. Yeah, it's like I could take the next two months off and keep making the extra six hundred bucks per week on unemployment, you know. But my position, yeah. my position probably wouldn't have been there because uh, I work in retail at Macy's, and um, yeah. I had just gotten a promotion to like support lead or whatever, which is like a shift manager in a restaurant, basically. Right. Um, like right before the quarantine happened, it was like my my second week in the position was when we got sent home, and then last week they pulled me into the office, like they pulled us all in one by one, and she was right. like reading off a script, like telling us that all these positions had gotten taken away and like I was I was gonna lose my position basically and I was I was like freaking out for like the next day because I was like oh my god yeah. I'm not gonna like she told me I was gonna keep my job and still work there full time but you still think like you know what's gonna happen I'm like is this place yeah I mean I got like a family now and then like I talked to like the guy who was like second in line like for running the store over the weekend and he was like yeah if you made it through this cut you're gonna be fine for a while and he doesn't really think anything else is gonna happen for a while which I'm still pretty skeptical because yeah, as you probably like know, retail's been a dying industry for years, you know? So, oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, but it, it seems fine now. Like, I'm not one of the people who's, who's got cut back, so I, I can't really, you know, complain that much. Yeah, like, uh, in my normal, like, Earth One job, I, uh, I run a, I bar manage a music venue, 
So the like the last shift that I worked behind the bar was the 10th of March. And like that, the few shows up to that were just like, it was just weird because everything was starting to happen everywhere. So like all the touring bands that would come in, like we'd just like be chatting or whatever, like before, like after soundcheck or before doors or whatever. And it's like, yeah, like this could be like a real thing. And then I was like, all right, we're going to have to close. Here's the deal. It's like, shit, like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get unemployment. And a friend of mine that worked in another bar, I guess the, pe- the people that owned that, like own like liquor stores and stuff in town. He's like, yeah, they need delivery drivers. If like, you think you might want to do it. I was like, at this point, I just need to make sure that I can keep making money to pay my bills. Like I'll, I'll do whatever. I don't really care. Like it's I'll, I'll be an alcohol pizza delivery guy. Like I don't give a shit. And then I've pretty much been doing that. Thankfully it's like a total no contact thing. Like I, I'm all gloved and masked up. Like I don't even touch. I literally look at an ID through the window and then leave their booze on the porch. So it's pretty, it's pretty easy, but, and I get to, I, spend most of my day in the car listening to music so it's really not that terrible yeah that's pretty cool that's one of the positives about my position at work like i'm only i'm i'm there for most like half the day where we're not even open yet so i just have my earbuds and listen to like wrestling podcasts mainly honestly and um this is like the first like job i've had in a really long time where there's like not even like any punk adjacent people there so instead of like i'm definitely like, the weird crazy guy at work to all these people's significant others like i know like, yeah, this guy just swears all the time. He's so negative. All he does is talk shit and judge everyone. It's like, well, I've been a bartender for 13 years. What the fuck do you expect? Yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is in the job description of, of being a bartender. <laughs> sure, I'm, I'm judging everyone constantly. Yeah. Yeah, oddly enough, one of my coworkers at my job uh, is in like a local metal band, which I actually interviewed their singer for one of my small business episodes a while back. So oh, cool. yeah, it was just kind of weird. We were talking like, because people always ask you like what we, what you do and what you listen to. And, and one of the girls who was one of the managers there, she was like, oh, what kind of music do you like? And I, I hate telling people that I listen to like hardcore or punk because it's, it's always like, like back, like when we were, when we were first coming up, they thought you listened to like Korn or Limp Bizkit or some crap, you know? <laughs> and now it's like, oh, you listen to that Screamo stuff? And I'm like now I just say yeah you know I want to be like fuck you you know but now I'm just like yeah sure you know like whatever you know yeah one of the dudes I worked with he's like oh like I heard you playing a band I was like yeah he's like what's it sound like I'm like I don't know it's like it's pretty aggressive stuff he's like oh like what and then I was like you know what like I'm just gonna go ahead and circumvent this entire thing and then I like I was like I'll show you like a quick video so it makes sense so I showed him one of the videos from the ended record release in Baltimore he's like what the fuck is going on like that's crazy I was like that's, I mean, I don't know. He's like, did that kid just punch you? I was like, yeah, <laughs> I got punched in the head. I don't, like, it happens. He's like, that's insane. Like, that's wild. I've never seen anything like this. So I was like, yeah, that's pretty much what I've done for the last 25 years of my life is go and get punched by people I don't know and we're still cool afterwards. Yeah, that's a band I definitely want to get into, but, but trying to stick with the timeline, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're getting sidetracked. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's what's fun about these conversations is is having like like we were saying before we started recording like all the side talk. Um, but so after it looks like rain though, you uh, I have vague memories of never enough. But kind of describe uh, what that we, band was all about. I don't think that we played up there that much. Uh, so when I don't even, like looks like rain, game winner finished first. Then looks like rain kept going for a little while. I like probably not even a year after I don't think although Mike might have a better memory for this than I do for sure but uh it had probably been like a a couple months since I had done anything and wasn't really like thinking about doing bands at that point I think I had started 
doing roadie stuff for Liars Academy, maybe, or kind of around that time. So like I think like me and Tony were kind of swapping in and out, going on tour with them because he would do Strike Anywhere too. And I think when he would do that, I would fill in for him doing the Liars Academy stuff. And then like they both kind of like were not doing anything. He's like, oh, we should do like a fast hardcore band. I was like, all right, cool. Like, let's, fuck it, let's do it. So he got Alex Henderson to play drums, who wound up playing in Pulling Teeth. Me on guitar at first. Evan Tanner that played drums for Liars Academy on bass. Uh, Sean Bajak, who was like a Northern Virginia kid who had been playing with Alex and 25 to Life at the time. So they kind of came as the package deal. And then Tony sang. And we played the first show, like we probably practiced for like a month, maybe month and a half, wrote like six songs. And I was like, all right, cool, let's start playing shows. And the first show we played, we opened for Municipal Waste at George Washington College, maybe. And Evan played bass for that show and then quit right after. So then I started playing bass. And then we got Alex DiMatessa to play guitar. Pretty much anyone in any band I've ever been in, somebody from that band usually I take to do the next one a lot of the time. And yeah, Never Enough was a band for a while. That was like the most like real band I had been in at that point. That like we toured as much as we could possibly do. We did two demos. I want to say two seven inches, and then like organized crime wound up putting all that stuff out. The second seven inch didn't come out on vinyl. It pretty much all got released as like one giant CD at the end. But there was definitely one vinyl release on seven inch that came out for sure. But there was like ten different covers for it because Tony's a maniac. Did you guys do like any touring or anything? I know you said you didn't really play up here much, but I'm guessing you probably like played other regions and stuff like that then? We did, uh, we did a fair amount. We used to always, we'd always go down to play, or the, during the time we were a band that we could do it, we'd go down and play This For You Fest in Daytona. And we wound up linking up with Half Heart and doing shows with them. And I think that might've been their first tour, potentially. It was them and SLS from Boston. But I think somebody in Florida posted the flyer of us playing there, it was like, oh wow that's the only time you're ever going to see never enough headlining over half heart on any piece of paper ever in life guaranteed yeah but yeah we did a handful of tours we did like usually like two or like a couple like two week things and then when we did the u.s tour we basically broke up on that tour and that was in like 2000 like early 2005 and then we did like a couple of reunion shows afterwards yeah, there's a lot of stuff you touched on there that could easily uh, get us sidetracked for like another 10 minutes. Um, municipal Waste. That was a lot to take in two minutes, right? There. Yeah. Municipal Waste is one of those bands that, you know, I booked them early on. And it's really cool to see, like, you know, how, how they've, how, how big they've gotten over the years and just the kind of stuff they, they've done. They're basically like a legacy band. Now, yeah. Kind of. Yeah, no, it's really cool to see what they've done. Um, Half Heart's one of those bands that kind of came in those couple years where I, I was more kind of uh doing the the drug and bar experimentation years so i didn't really go to as many yeah. hardcore shows but it's cool to see that like that was me and never enough too for sure <laughs> <laughs> it's cool Actually, to when, see... I, when i i broke my one of the shows the tour we did where i had to play with a broken hand we played rochester on that tour oh really we played with it was like i think we played with bane i want to say <laughs> it was like some weird dance club but it was like a matinee show i feel like you could have booked it potentially I booked a Bug Jar show that was a matinee with them, but you might be thinking there was another show in Canandaigua they played that I didn't book. Um, Maybe that. I don't know. It might have been that, but there was also a 
I have to pull out my old flyers because I, I was yeah. I was thinking with them releasing that video yesterday about all the Bane shows that I booked and I kind of wanted to. I was actually watching that before we started doing this. <laughs> I, I went for another long bike ride yesterday too and I listened to it. It probably wasn't the best idea because it wasn't when I was on any bike paths. I was on the actual road, and right. um, I was listening to that and I was like, I should probably take my earbuds out while I'm while there's like cars driving by like 40 miles per hour. I'm getting into these yeah, songs. Yeah, probably that's you know? probably a good move. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the actual video at some point. Um, but another thing you you mentioned that. I hadn't really thought of in this interview, or in prepping for this interview, rather, is, uh, you know, 25 to life, come and correct. Uh, <laughs> so obviously so Rick... I never, I never played with them. I played does... shows like, with that band, but I never played in the band, but I know so many people that did. Now, but Rick ended up moving to Baltimore, and I think he still lives there, right? Okay, he's still here, yeah. I, I, I saw him, I guess I saw, the last time I saw him in the flesh was he was pulling records out of his trunk in front of Celebrated Summer, like last summer. I mean, I know he did some he's sketchy shit. Still around for sure. I know he's done some sketchy shit with like that white power dude or whatever, and like he said a lot yeah. of dumb stuff. But for a while there, he was a pretty funny novelty, like all the. Yeah, it's that, that definitely went down the drain. Yeah. Pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, but it's crazy because if I'm not mistaken, didn't even Dom play bass for Common Correct for a little while before he started? Dom, Dom played in that band. I probably know like ten people that have played in that band at this point. Like Alex, Alex and Sean did. My downstairs neighbor, Brendan, did at one point. Uh, my friend, Matt Bennett, did. Dom. Uh, there was, like, uh, my friend, Nick Calhoun, who plays in a band called Cloudbuster now, who's fucking awesome. Uh, he played with them for a bit. There, Yeah, like, pretty much as soon as Rick moved down here, he just kept getting whoever he could get. Justice from Trapped Under Ice, Angel Dust, he played with them for a little bit. One of the two, I'm not sure which one, coming correct, maybe. But yeah, pretty any, pretty much everyone that has done any band has either had a member of or is like one step away from Twenty Five to Life. Yeah, I, I booked Common Crack on a basement show here, and I actually lost uh, lost one of my teeth at that show. Not during their set, uh, unfortunately, or, or fortunately, I guess however you want to look I mean, at that's, it. That's probably fortunately. <laughs> yeah, um, the the opening band was some dudes I became pretty good friends with. They they were called Something Sager, but they actually started a band later on called Borrow Time, who's uh, been pretty noteworthy around here. Um, and their bass player has become one of my one of my good friends. He actually found the tooth on the floor and like put it in milk or some shit. I don't know. Not not like I was gonna be able to do anything with it. I kept it for a little while. Um, but yeah, no, it's just interesting to to say that. But I have they were a, they were able to put it back in. I have I have like a, a crown or whatever. It's not the same tooth, obviously. Um, yeah, actually, one of the dudes who I interviewed um, episodes like three and I don't I don't know what episodes, but Jim Callahan, he's a local drummer, a really nice guy too. So oh, yeah, just, I listened to that one. Yeah. Okay. So it's just crazy that he'd be the one that knocked my tooth out because he's like the nicest guy. Like I was, I was going out for, to get ice cream a couple weeks ago, and I didn't even realize he lives on the street where they they, they sell the ice cream. And I just he was like, again, I had my earbuds in because I was like uh, editing an episode or whatever, like while walking down because my girlfriend and son were waiting in the car to you know avoid people or whatever. Yeah. And I just hear like Josh, Josh, and I'm like, who the fuck's yelling at me? You know what I mean? I look over, and I'm like, oh shit, you do live on this side of town, don't you? You know, so it was kind of weird because I was like one of the first people I'd seen like during the quarantine, like in public, you know, and I was right. kind of like, I, I wanted to walk up to him and shake his hand, but I ended up just kind of like taking a couple steps yeah. back, you know, and I texted him afterwards and I was like, sorry if I was like awkward, like I'm not used to being around people right now or whatever, you know. Better to be safe than sorry, man. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess pretty much most of the bands you've sent me after that I'm not as familiar with, like I've heard of End It. Um, but like, so the next band you sent me was was uh, Orange's band from like 2008, uh, and, and I guess that's still an active band. Uh, we never technically broke up. So what 
that like that gap of time so much shit happened in my life then like like all kinds of shit happened like i i had been while i was in never enough i was also roading for the disaster on pretty much any touring they did it's like that u.s tour with the forge thing i did and like other stuff before that like when pieces was still there like i was doing that then never enough broke up on the u.s tour i came home and I'd been working in this coffee shop and was just like fucking miserable. Like at that point was like strongly debating, like moving away. I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. I don't want to do a bang. So this literally, I invested all this fucking time to watch it, like shit the bed in the course of four weeks. And then have to like come home and do a last show, which was a fucking bummer. And then I met, I was working in the coffee shop and that was where I met Brian McTernan for the first time like producer band dude he was in battery obviously uh he's like hey like you're like a hardcore kid i'm like yes obviously i'm wearing a seven second shirt at work i'm certainly a hardcore kid and like we started chatting he'd come in all the time he's like you should really meet my friend mark i was like okay cool and he came in one day and he's like yeah like you're the guy brian told me about i was like yeah he's like so here's the deal like i do a breast cancer charity called shirts for a cure we're about to start like really expanding how much we're trying to do to raise as much money as possible. It's like, all right, cool. Like the cancer runs in my family and my grandmother died from lung cancer and breast cancer. Like this is definitely like a thing that I like, I care about. He's like, yeah, so I need somebody who can work on warp tour. I was like, I'll quit my job. Like, I don't fucking care. He's like, for real. I was like, yeah, like when does it start? He's like, cool. It starts on June 15th in Kansas city. I was like, all right, cool like agree to do it put in my two like my month at work at that point i was like all right cool like we understand you can go that night the drummer for the oranges calls me he's like hey uh i know you're trying to get out of town we're about to do this tour with ted leo and we need a merch guy i was like okay cool like when do you leave he's like we leave in three days i'm like cool get back off the phone call my manager of the coffee shop i was like hey I can work the next three days and I'll open to close all three days and then I quit. Like, and it was, it was a friend of mine at the time. They're like, what? I was like, I got offered this other tour job. I guess this is just what I'm going to do now. They're like, all right, cool. Well, that's fine. Do it. So did that Oranges tour. We ended in Chicago. A bunch of friends from Baltimore came to that show for some reason. So I wound up going out with them that night. Stayed out till like six in the morning. They drove me, the oranges drove me to Ohio and left me in a strip mall. And then Beamer came and picked me up in a van <laughs> with all the merch. And he's like, all right, cool, well, here we go. And then I did Warped Tour for that entire summer and then worked during touring for him for a long, like probably till like 2010, like off and on. And then doing that, the Warped Tour stuff, that was how I wound up being Thursday who I wound up doing merch for and tour managing for a little while too, for until probably like 2012. But so pretty much that entire gap of time to where I started playing with the Oranges, it's like I did a tour with them and they had their bass player quit and I just started from there. But I pretty much just like toured nonstop for work in that like in between time. Wow, that's 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 pretty cool. Now, so you did the shirts for your Cure stuff, you, you did Thursday, and, and obviously, dating back, you had toured with the Disaster, and you said you, I think you wrote it for the Liars Academy too. Are there other bands too, or is that or is that pretty much most of the bands? You uh, I with? did the Hold Steady for a little bit, also. Like pretty much everybody that worked for Thursday at some point worked for the Hold Steady as well, because the crew just like 
one by one kind of transferred through. Like uh, Joshi that played last in line was guitar teching for Thursday right before I started working for them. But when I met them, he was with them and that was how we figured out the last in line connection. And then he did stuff for the Hold Steady and the other one of the other guys that played last in line worked for them too, whose name escapes me right now. But uh, And then like when we do tours in Europe and stuff, I'd like double up and do merch for other bands. Like I did Circus Survive and Saves the Day at one point too. But yeah, like it was just, you know, it was basically like me, people, oh, can I like work for you? Oh, I did Dillinger Escape Plan when we did a tour with them. Uh, Span Animals as leaders. I did merch for them at one point. There's probably more that I don't remember, but yeah, like there's like, I'm, I'm one of those dudes that has like the clip with like a million laminates on it from just like doing a ton of shit like that. And that was like a four year period or did that go on a little bit longer? I probably, than that? I guess I started with Thursday in like 07. So it's like five years I worked for them. Oh, that's 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 really cool. Now I'm guessing, again, that's something I didn't have in my notes because we hadn't really talked about you tour managing oh, and I stuff didn't like think that. To it, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That's that's what's fun about doing these is like different stuff will come up and you know again it just kind of <laughs> sidetracks a little bit. Um, I'm guessing you probably have at least a couple interesting stories from being on the road with all these bands and people and from doing the Warp yeah. tour too. So 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 many. Uh, there there was definitely, I was extremely poor. Like literally every band I worked for were incredible like people wise like i was really lucky that i never had to deal with any like sketchy situations or even like even just dealing with assholes at all uh one of the thursday stories that comes to mind we did a tour with this band fall of troy and it just like we just been busting their balls the entire tour because they were like they're nice enough dudes they were just kind of shitty with us for whatever reason but me and jeff the singer it was the last day they were on with us and we were in North Carolina at the cat's cradle, I think. And we were just like, what the fuck can we do to prank these guys today? Like we have, like we have to do something good because they've just been pricks. And it was around Halloween. I was like, Oh dude, when they do that last song, there's like a weird break. Like when they do the break, we should just dress up in ICP makeup and then take all the microphones on the stage and pretend we're in insane cloud posse. So we do that. They all think it's funny except for the singer. There was no surprise to us there. And we're just running around looking like idiots. I don't realize that Jeff had started to leave the stage and I just dove with all the microphones into the crowd. Like, whatever. Didn't really think anything of it. I get passed back up to the stage and the bouncer in the club just starts beating the dog shit out of me. Like, holding me down against the monitor, just like hitting me. Thank God our guitar tech, Matt Cortez, had happened to be at his guitar station. Because he literally like ran and tackled the security guard off me. He's like, he's like, he's got a fucking laminate. Like, don't fucking hit him. Like, take your fucking hands off. And I was like, oh my God. Fuck. Thank you. And then I had to do merch and insane clown posse makeup for the rest of the night <laughs> after that after getting beat up. You know, that's funny, too, because obviously, musically, I've never gotten into Insane Clown Posse, but um, with the whole podcast thing and everything else that's been prevalent in the last few years, uh, listening to the interviews has kind of become a guilty pleasure of mine. Like, pretty much any time I see an interview with those guys, I always stop and listen to it, because they always have really interesting and funny shit to say. Oh, yeah. You know? They're incredibly well-spoken. Or maybe I shouldn't say incredibly, but they also, like, are the smartest about running their band. Yeah. Like they run it like a company. Really? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. Like they would do like there's like Vlad TV and there's some other douchebag dude who does like a lot of hip hop interviews who supposedly comes from the hardcore scene. Um, but they were on both those dudes and they have like hour and a half discussions and I'm just like it's just crazy to see like how long of a legacy these guys speaking of like legacy bands, like these guys have been around like Forever. Yeah, like at least twenty five <laughs> years, you know, and they know a lot yeah. about hip hop too. Like I love hip hop. I again I don't like them obviously, but yeah. you know, um before I had a kid, I would have loved to have gone to one of those gatherings the Juggalos, too, just for to, to say I went or whatever, you know, but obviously now it probably won't happen, you know, but... So my uh, my homie Lou, like, we would always joke about the gathering, and, like, he he's done merch, like, he does merch for, like, Portugal the Man now, but he worked, like, last night on a bunch of bands, so, like, we were always, like, pretty adjacent to each other a lot, and... Like, we don't joke about the gathering and he hits me up out of nowhere one day like however many years ago he's like dude i'm fucking doing it i was like what he's like cottonmouth kings needed a merch guy <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get to go to the gathering for free <laughs> he said it was incredible yeah i bet i, I like i i mean honestly I, every every year that they have it there's always like a couple acts like that i like from like whether it's rap or it's not probably dude, not what's that body played it i yeah. go see that yeah, there's a couple other rappers that I like that have played it, um, and I don't know if you, I don't think you and I were really talking that much, but in, like, 2006, um, I lived in Denver for, like, four months, because I have been, like, traveling across country and, like, partying and shit, and I ended up, like, going there with literally $10 in my pocket and just kind of stayed there for a few months, uh, and I was leaving work one day, and they had this bus, like, a free bus that would go down uh, 16th Street in Denver, and I was going to the record store to buy some CDs or whatever, and there's this kid riding on the bus with the fucking full makeup on, and, I, and I'm like... It's not Halloween. I was like, is ICP playing here tonight? And I got off the bus, and, I, and he got off the same stop I did, which is literally right down the street from the Ogden Theater, where they have, yeah. like, big shows, like Terror played there with Unearth and some other shit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been there with Thursday before. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, my God, he's getting off there. They must be playing there tonight. And it's sort of literally right across the street from the record store I was going to or whatever. And sure enough, there's a line full of fucking juggalos, like, waiting to get oh, in. Yeah. And I was just like, man, this fucking shit. It's just... That is a, that is a level of commitment that... I don't know that I could have for any band I love. Yeah, and, and the last thing I'll say about ICP, so we can kind of get off this topic, I guess. Um, <laughs> I was amazing. Here at all? Yeah, no, I could talk about ICP again. I've never listened to their music, but I could talk about them for hours. Um, but I worked at a, I was like a manager in a bagel shop in Rochester for a couple of years, um, and and one of the girls who ended up working with me, her boyfriend was really into ICP, and she said she wasn't, but I bet she was too because on her car, on the fucking. Uh, uh, right on the wind over the windshield it she had the letters like and it said juggalo like and she bought all, oh, yeah. put all the letters on there i'm like oh my god and a couple times because i don't drive or anything I, I drove like maybe a couple months uh before i got into a really bad car accident but that was like years later like this is like 10 10 or 11 years ago um i lived like on the other side of town i would just catch the bus mainly and a couple times she was like you need to ride home and i was like oh my god i'm gonna ride in the in the juggalo mobile <laughs> you know queen of, queen of the juggalettes exactly ride home. exactly like, she was a cool girl, but again, like, that just, you know, um, but hey, yeah. Family, family. Exactly, exactly, whoop, whoop. Um, so anyways, um, and then. So that goes, the, goes to the oranges from there. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. what, what, what kind of sound does, does Oranges Band have, though, I guess, for people that aren't familiar with them? Uh, they're an indie rock band. They were on Lookout, like, towards the end. Uh, like, in the, in, like, the Ted Leo being on Lookout era. I did not play on those records, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, like, they hit me up to do it because I had been on tour with them so much. They're like, yeah, like, you want to just play? I was like, yeah, of course. Like, I know I've heard these songs for the past couple of years. Like, 
I'm down to do it. I like the band. So like did that. Uh, we toured a little bit, and then the the singer in that band used to play bass and spoon at one point also. And he was like, "Yeah, we're gonna record a new record. I got a bunch of songs." I'm like, all right, cool. That's you know whatever. So we start recording. He's like, "Yeah, I really want to get another guitar player in for this." It's like, okay, cool. Like, who are you thinking? Like somebody in town. I was like, no. Uh, I think that uh, I talked to Doug from Guided by Voices. He's gonna do it. I was like, oh, well, that's cool too. Like whatever. So like he played with us for a bit, and then we did a whole we did a tour the whole day. That was how I wound up getting the job with them is from doing that tour. But uh, on that tour, the drummer also at this time is when I started doing that band Rat Size as well. There was like a short lived like punk band that was basically just like four of us that wanted to play in a band together. That probably if we had stuck with it could have like actually really more than likely done something but uh like dave that played drums in the orange played drums uh matt gabs that was playing in a band called fighters from atlanta and also plays a band called ravagers from baltimore now or like awesome punk band uh like he played guitar and then my friend noel who was like a design dude played bass and i think we played like eight shows but then like we did the whole steady so oranges do the whole steady tour mid tour our drummer dave just quits like we played Beachland Ballroom in Cleveland the night before. It was probably like one of the coolest shows I've played in front of people ever where it seemed like people really gave a shit about my band. And he's like, yeah, I'm going home. I was like, huh, well, that'll be, we still have like a week left to tour. Like we're not, like we can't go home. Like I'm not doing some VH1 storyteller shit. So I had, we had played in Scranton a week before where I did a DJ night after the show with Bob Mack, who used to do Posse Numbers Fest. That was weird. And had dinner with my friend Lee. I was like, yeah, like half joking. I was like, yeah, we might need a drummer in a week. He's like, yeah, whatever. Fast forward to being in Cleveland in the hotel room where Dave leaves and I'm talking to Roman, our singer. I was like, yeah, so I talked to Lee a week ago that this could be a possibility. He's like, for real? I'm like, yeah, should I call him? He's like, I'll call him right now. So I called him up, I was like, hey, so Dave quit and we need a drummer and we're going to be in Pittsburgh tonight. He's like, uh, all right, hold, well, I'm down to do it. Let me ask my wife. Like, I'll call you back in five minutes. Calls you back. He's like, Hey, uh, so where are we playing in Cleveland? I was like, diesel lounge is like, cool. I'm getting in the car now. I'll see you when you get there. He gets stuck in traffic that day, like super bad. So we drive to Cleveland, get there. We're like, dude, where are you? Like we sound checks with Roman playing drums, me playing bass, and then our touring guitar plays, touring guitar player playing guitar. I was like, so are we just all three gonna sing, I guess? Like, that's how this is gonna go? And he's like, yeah, pretty much. Like, we all know all the songs and all the parts, so like, fuck it, we'll do it. My mom and the rest of my family are living in Pittsburgh at the time, had never seen any band I had been in since I was in high school, pretty much. Like, they never saw Game Winner or Never Enough at all. And the whole city dudes are all like, what the fuck is going on? Where is Dave? Why is Roman playing drums? Why are you singing? Like, what the fuck is happening? I was like, oh, no, it's fine. Lee showed up maybe five minutes before we were supposed to play, like, left the hazards on on his car <laughs> in the alley of the club, runs in. We're like, hey, can you do this? He's like, yeah, there's just, like, two parts in this one song that I couldn't figure out on my steering wheel. <laughs> and then, like, go out to play the show, and, of course, everybody on the tour is like, what the, who the fuck is this dude? And then he just fucking slayed it. Like, played it perfect and faster, which I liked. But, like, everybody's, like, sitting there waiting for us to fail. And I was like, yep, yeah, no. Uh, the ringer came in and did his job, so cool. Now we, now he's on the tour. He needs a laminate. Thank you. 
And that's the beauty of all this, I guess. And now, had that dude been in other bands playing drums? Like, how did you know he'd be able to... Oh, yeah. He was in a ton of bands from Baltimore. He used to play in this band called The Fuses for a long time. Played in a band called The Thumbs. Uh, he had been in a band called The Adults before, I think, before that. And he had been playing in bands in Lux Fair while he was there, too. Or Scranton, sorry. Not Lux Fair. He would... He would like me to make that distinction. <laughs> yeah, that's for people outside of that area. It's 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 kind of one and the same. Like when you're driving through it, it the it, band he played you know. in there was the Swims. They were like kind of like a shoegazy psych band, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember even when I was a kid, it was uh, their minor league baseball team was called Scranton Wilkes Barre. So I always kind of thought it was yeah. like one place. And then when I went to all those, I don't even know how many times we went to home base, but it was a lot. You know, there was always good shows. Yeah, all there. the times we we would go there like every weekend. Yeah. Just about like we because you'd be driving about it was like four. Four and a half hours from you too, right? Uh, maybe a little bit less, but it was, it was somewhere around there. Yeah, like like between three and four, definitely. But yeah, um, the fact that that was like a hub for hardcore bands. Yeah. Where like you would just like, oh, when you're in your early mid twenties, like fuck it, yeah, I'm gonna go drive four hours and see Rain on the Parade play to seventy people in a warehouse. Cause yeah. Fuck it. Oh, Killer Riders are playing too. Great. Yeah. I'm going. Yeah, and and those those posy numbers lineups, like imagine if you did a fest like that now, like how how Dude, big that would be, insane. you know. And there was one. I'm just like that we were able to see all those bands like then, in that, and it wasn't even like if you think back on it too, like it was until they moved to that giant dome. I didn't go to it when they did it there, but like there was only probably like maybe 300 people at that fest. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. I never went to the dome either. I went there was one year where they had it like in a fire hall or some weird shit. Um, I went that I year. I went, or no, I went the year Slapshot played that fire hall one. I went. That was the last one that I went to because that was where I did the Cinnamon Cup Challenge. Uh, I'm guessing that means you drank a lot of cinnamon or something. Well, I didn't drink any of it because I wound up inhaling half of it and talking like Barry White for three days. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like uh, like the malfunction dudes like definitely have video of it. Like I know like True or Linus definitely has to have video of it somewhere. I feel like that probably I'm, maybe they had the fire hall two years in a row because I've never seen Slapshot. That's like that's like I don't have very many bands left on my bucket list, but that's definitely like one. I know Integrity played, Mental played. Yeah, that would have been the fall. Probably. It's probably 2004. I'm guessing then. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, because the last year I went was 2003 when it was like Terror, No Warning, and yeah. uh, Desperate Measures played pretty late. Was that the No Warning Beer Chug set? That was the one before uh, when it was still yeah, at home okay. base. They covered uh, Panty Raid, yeah. and and Ben Cook. I don't I don't know if Ben Cook actually drank the beer if he just put it in his mouth and spit it all over everybody. But either way, yeah, either way, I know. thought it was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that band. Like I like that band, but that set, like, there's only been a, f- a handful of times in my life where I've been standing up front in a show and I've been like, I don't really think I should be standing here right now. This doesn't yeah. seem safe, and that was one of them. Like there was just dudes were going ballistic for them that night. Like Chromex oh. that weekend were nuts too, but they, the no warning set that night was insane. Yeah, I was never the hugest fan of that band to that point. I was like, holy shit, kids are going the fuck off. Yeah, this that's awesome. Yeah, I like them. I definitely like Hail Blood a lot, and and uh, there's a video that that Rob Antonucci has that I actually mentioned in the the Scott Vogel interview that's coming out before this, where uh, it's, I booked like Carry On. I think you probably remember that tour, like Carry On, No Warning. It was like one of the few times Carry On played the East Coast. Yeah, um, actually, Unitor played with Carry On the first time they came out to the East Coast. That was probably the, that I'm guessing that was probably the time before, because uh, I think they yeah, came out here twice. Because we played a couple of shows with them and Count Me Out on that, mm-hmm. that little. Bit. Yeah, that would have been a different um, a different tour. But yeah, it was like Carry On, No Warning. Well, it's actually, you speaking of Thursday, that the show ended up becoming pretty weird because I emailed Matt Pike and I was like, I heard Thursday you're doing... I met Scott Vogel. <laughs> oh, at, 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 uh, at a Carry On or No Warning show? or No, when uh, 
one of the times Thursday played Syracuse, Scott came out because he was friends with the keyboard player. Oh yeah, he was living in Syracuse for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he yeah, definitely I saw it. He moshed for Thursday. He definitely moshed during Thursday. Wow, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, I booked uh, like Carry On, No Warning, and Hope Conspiracy were touring together. Um, oh yeah, they they stayed with me and Mike. Yeah. When they did the Baltimore show. And then. What's that? Did Death Threat play tickets on that tour? Well, not the show here. They had to cancel. I'm not going to embarrass anybody on. I don't think they came to the, I don't think they came to the Baltimore show either. Yeah, I'm not going to. Memory of that. I'm not going to say why they canceled, but people from okay. here who are friends with them know why, and, and they'll get a good laugh out of it. But, um, yeah. So it was those four bands, and then I asked every time I die to play, so they played, and then Chris Ring, who books all the Buffalo shows, he, either him or Scott Sprig, because Scott Sprig was working on them at the time too. They emailed me like four weeks before the show, and they were like, "Yo." Thursday's played in Buffalo like like three or four times in the last year, and they have it. They need they need a date that night. So can you put them on that show? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like kind of knowing they were big, but they hadn't like, they were kind of blowing up. Yeah. So, but the venue was like a sixty-five capacity like like VFW hall type place in Rochester, and I ended up getting like two hundred seventy paid people plus like bands and stuff. So it was like they didn't that they definitely I couldn't book any more shows there in my name. Put it that way, you know. Um, <laughs> But again, like that lineup that I just recited, like I mean, people from Rochester are definitely familiar with that show. But if, if we did that show now, it would be like at least a one thousand cap venue. You oh, know what dude, I mean? Like, sure. And it's just crazy to see. Like, I know Thursday is not like like you know they 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 play shows here and there, but they're not like a I would I don't know if you'd consider them an active band at this point. But yeah, they're not really active. like at this point now. Like they're like fests only. I think that's what I thought. Yeah, but like and just, I don't even think they're gonna do much of those anymore either. To be honest, from like the like we all still talk all the time. Right. I don't see them playing a whole lot more. Right. They'll play sometimes for sure, but like not nowhere near active. Yeah, but like to see how big like them and and every time I die too are from right down the road like, from there. Huge. Yeah, like they they have like a, a to the season every year, and there's like like six thousand people went last year to two yeah, days. Same. You know what I mean? Like so yeah, and and oddly enough, um, one of my girlfriend's old uh, bosses from work. Uh, he lives like two streets over from us, and his sons are big Every Time I Die fans. And we were we were walking our our dog a couple years back when I first got my license, and I saw a license plate, and I'm like, yo, that shit says Etid. I'm like, what the fuck? And she's like, oh, that's my old boss's car. And I'm like, but he's like 60. And she's like, yeah, no, her, her his sons got that license plate. Now he has to drive the car around. So, <laughs> but it's just crazy because those dudes like they're not hardcore kids. Like they're just like fringe like kids are probably like 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 metalcore type shit you know it's just yeah. crazy to see how big like bands like that have gotten to where oh yeah like you it know it's a really wide scope yeah exactly um but yeah so i guess kind of jumping into your next band um uh the next one i think you mentioned uh, a couple side projects there in the, in the middle of that orange oranges conversation but um the next one you kind of gave me was like a, a real band or whatever was old lines i guess uh yeah so that was after that was like towards the end of me touring with thursday i started i joined that band Sean, that played in 25 to Life, had like just quit because he was playing with them. And it was Mitch that played in Pulling Teeth and Bruner. That was like his new band. He was he, Me and him had been trying to do a band together for a while. Like he filled in for Never Enough a handful of times. And he's like, yeah, like I'm doing this band. We just recorded an LP. Like you just need to learn songs and go. Like just like plug and play. I was like, perfect. That's the only... It's the only way I want to do it. Like, I'll be the hired gun. I don't care. Like, I, I had no desire to start a band from scratch at that point. So, like, they did the LP. We started touring, did some stuff. And it was pretty much 
like it was all the same people like uh, as kid jake barry played drums that hadn't done like a whole ton of stuff he played in a band with jason from poison the well called nerve city for a bit and like the singer matt had never done a band ever and that was it was like crusty sounded like his hero's gone like dvd-ish like stadium crust kind of stuff and we toured a little bit we did a u.s tour i wound up getting kicked out after that tour and it was just kind of like all right cool like at that point in time i was like all right now i'm like done doing bands i'm done touring like i want to be home i had that girlfriend at the time, like serious girlfriend at the time and it was like i just like i literally spent like almost every summer for like nine years like not at home i just want to hang out with my friends and like be a normal human being which who's not a nomad that wakes up in a different city every day for a little bit so that definitely like led to me not touring for a minute and then that leads me to like now where mitch had been like pestering me to do a band again after that because he started doing neolithic which is a little more of a, a metal band like the guy that runs around death fest sings uh james that plays in coke bus plays guitar uh let's do john john that played in like a metal band called swarm of the lotus plays drums and like agreed to do that like we played europe at some fest last year and like we don't really play a lot because we're all like busy and then end it wound up happening because they had asked me to fill in like a couple times and i just couldn't do it and then right when their record or the ep they just put out in the winter time was about to come out like yeah we have these shows booked our bass player can't do it i was like well you thought you hit me at the right time because neolithic's not doing shit like let's learn these songs and do it and then pandemic happened so now we're current <laughs> yeah and enda is is a band i like until you told me about it, i didn't realize you're in the band but i had i had heard about that band and seen like a lot of people don't know i'm in that band <laughs> yeah i've seen something about them on no echo i think too and you know that's the kind of shit that i'm most into like you know growing up i was into like a lot of like melodic hardcore and shit but like as i've yeah. gotten older i've gotten more into like the new york style stuff and that and that it's shit definitely like i'm almost bummed that i'm the age that i am being in that band now because that's pretty much the band that i've always wanted to do like stylistically for the most part it's a, like being in that band is so fun yeah i'll probably never actually sing for a band but if i would that's probably what the band would sound like like something like that you know um yeah. but you know having a kid now and and you know having all this other shit going on i can't really imagine that hey man i'm psyched you get to be an adult yeah i, I don't still kind of well, you know, I I, don't, I, I I use that term loosely, I guess, adult, you know? I mean, I was yeah. pretty uh, uh, pretty immature for a little while there, and I still do a lot of shit that, you know, most people who are about to be 40 probably wouldn't be spending their time doing, you know? But, oh, I mean, yeah, for sure. You right. know? The kids, that the, the child in you is never going to leave. Yeah. For sure. Exactly. My girlfriend That's always says, thing, yeah, my girlfriend always says, like, that, you know, there's, like, her, the people that she's friends with, their, their boyfriends would never get away with, or husbands would never get away with a lot of the shit that I get away with, so, <laughs> you know, I'm um, lucky to have somebody like her in my life, obviously, though, I mean, you know, she, she's she been through a lot with me, I mean, just the, the shit that I put her through last year, I'll never, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll never be able to repay her for that, obviously. So, That's great, though. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and, and watching the kid grow has been, has been phenomenal, and, you know, uh, hopefully, when he gets a little older, I can introduce him to all this stuff. Like, I was just telling her yesterday that, you know, by the time he's, like, 13 or 14, I'm hoping to have, like, I don't even know, a ridiculous amount of these podcasts done so he can just oh, go yeah, back and listen sure. to all these interviews and know, like, you know, it'll be, like, the history lesson on 
on Western New York, and by that time, like other areas of hardcore, yeah, you sure. know. Um, I guarantee that you've had to you've had to deal with pretty much everybody <laughs> in in some capacity. You booked shows for long enough. Yeah, that's and, kind of you know, records too. That's kind of what got me to want not really be as interested in doing this shit anymore. I mean, I was dating like a, a pretty militant straight edge girl at, at the end there, and that kind of you know I can't blame any, the drinking on anybody but myself at the end of the day. But like yeah. I, I remember when I first stopped being with her, I was like, I gotta go have a couple beers, you know, <laughs> like. Okay. You know, and fast forward till like seven or eight years later, I'm still, you know, but you know, those were you good years. It, you know? Like it's all that music's always going to be there. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, I mean, I don't have any regrets from the drinking though, because that's if I wouldn't have been uh, a, a crazy alcoholic for those years, I probably never would have met my girlfriend. Cause that's how, how we met was at like a, a random bar or whatever. So yeah, um, it's good to have a stabilizing force in your life. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm definitely a hundred percent. Sober now after the the year I had last year, so it's uh, good. That's awesome. Know, yeah, I have I have no qualms with you know anybody listening who who still does drink or, or smoke, you know, um, but it's something that I, I I'm one of those people who I couldn't really uh do that anymore and function like I I, yeah, I, I was. Yeah, has the the ability to turn it off for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I live in Baltimore. I know a ton of people that have a ton of problems. <laughs> yeah. Now, I guess speaking to that, though, too, so as you kind of mentioned in the interview before, so for work, you mainly have been doing, like, the bartender gig. Like, where do you usually do that at when, when things are open? Uh, I worked at the auto bar for a really, really long time. Uh, like, right, I think I started there in, like, 06, probably, and that was the only job I could have at home that would allow me to tour because at that point, pretty much everyone there was, like, in a touring band or doing something in that world, kind of or like at least half the staff. So there'd always be people swapping in and out, like, oh, like I'd go, but somebody would just get home. They'd be, basically take my spot and it would just go like that for a long time. Like I worked, I finally left out of bar, I guess like two years ago now, or a year and a half. And then about halfway, probably I guess in 2011, uh, I just like, was like gonna be home more. I was like, I need to get more shifts. So they're like, yeah, that can't really happen. And I wound up getting introduced to Sarah Werner, who owns a place called the Metro Gallery. That's another live music venue spot in town, like a 250 cap. The Autobar is like 425-ish. So it's like they play there on their way up to the Autobar, like, et cetera. But uh, it's like, yeah, like, I need a bartender. It's like, cool, like, I need to work. So it worked out pretty well. Like, I, I got to the point that I started managing the bar there. It's literally probably the best job that I've had ever like i love working at the auto bar too and that was incredible but like this is somehow even better than that like the owner's great she's super hands-on super cool like knows her shit is it's it's, just, it's a really great work environment like i'm very very lucky to have found that job so i guess pre-pandemic um like how how many nights per week were you seeing live music while working there then a lot like could, the amount of the amount of shows i've seen in the past like 20 years is stupid like, like my ears are destroyed. <laughs> like that's actually the only good thing about the pandemic. It's given my ears time to recover a little bit. But uh, yeah, like we were, it kind of depended on the season. Like we weren't an everyday open spot. Like we were only open for shows. But like, obviously, in like the end of February to beginning of June, and then end of August till like Thanksgiving, beginning of December, like busier times of year for us. So like I've, I've seen seen a lot of bands, but that's for sure. 
are there any bands that have come through that you hadn't like really been familiar with before that that you saw live and you're like holy shit like this band you know like anything like that yeah there was definitely like from living in baltimore like there's definitely a lot of bands from here that like do stuff that just were not there wouldn't be bands i would go see really uh but they would do like warm-up shows before they'd go out on tour and like play our spot and just do like a secret thing like i'm definitely not a huge fan of dan deacon's music at all but seeing him play in front of like 240 like captivated people was really cool uh i had never seen future islands ever and like or had even listened to their band and then finally seeing him doing a show like that i was like oh wow like I could have seen this band a million times and I actually fucked with it like pretty hard. Like I kind of blew it on this one, like whatever. Uh, probably like the coolest show that we did was last, I guess it was like last June, I think maybe, but uh, it was right before Jawbox started playing again. And I had literally been for probably like a good five years, anytime Jay Robbins would come into the club, I would just like pester him borderline punishing i was like dude if you ever do Jawbox again like you have to let me book the show like you ha- you have to let us do it like i'll book at this point now like i'll book maybe one show a year for like homies or if it's like a random band that like holy shit i get to book this band like i booked sam am a couple years ago because that's a band that i love and they were like oh we need a baltimore day i was like cool i'll fucking do it but uh it hit the point where like sarah had also been talking to him about it and they're like, yeah, we're gonna start doing like a small amount of stuff. We want to do a warm up show in Baltimore. I was like, all right. So are we gonna do this? And she's like, yeah, we're doing it. Like it's fucking happening. So we got to see Jawbox play. It was like, I think we only sold 200 tickets for the show. It was super intimate, really cool, like just awesome. So do you handle the booking of that place too, or do you mean? I don't at all. Like I'll book shows there every once in a while. Uh, this other dude, Adam Savage, handles the booking. Like he works at another club in town too. But yeah, like it's pretty much I just run the bar. I I really honestly hate booking shows because you know it's fucking stressful and annoying. <laughs> so at, at this point, I'm I'm happy just running the bar and like coming up with cocktails and stuff, and just it's it's a lot more fun for me. Yeah, I've gone back and forth on that whole idea, and obviously I have more time to think about it too. Um, yeah of just if I want to start booking shows again. And, you know, as I've said on this podcast several times, like in the event that I decide that I do want to in a year or two, like any band's going to want to play because they're going to have not played for a while. And there's going to, it's just, oh, yeah. it's going to be really oversaturated. I'm worried about that. You know what I mean? Especially in an area like this where. I'm kind of surprised that this hasn't like, uh, this is, <laughs> this is going to make me sound like such a dick, <laughs> but I've also thought this like for years too, from working in like clubs and touring, I was like, at some point like the touring stream is going to have to thin out because there's so many bands that like there, there's so many bands that shouldn't tour like i'm definitely not like in the you have to have a certain amount of things out to tour mindset anymore necessarily but i was like oh this will maybe this will be a thing where like people can realize they can just like do a band where it doesn't have to you don't always have to do a full bore you know but i feel like maybe that's not going to happen it also sucks playing in a band being like i don't know when we're going to play again like like all the shows that ended had like I like we were going to do United Blood and some other stuff that was going to be sick and it was like oh well now now what are we going to do like at least we have the platform that we can do like benefit shirts and stuff and like at least like do stuff to help other people since we have the time and the platform and resources to do it which is awesome but I definitely 
I miss playing for sure. Next year, I guess I think at this point is going to be when that'll happen. Yeah, not to not to talk shit about any promoters by any means because I was one and hope to be one again. But it seemed it seemed to me it just seemed really far fetched that some of these dudes like when the pandemic first started. I'm not gonna you know not mentioning anybody, but like a lot of different Wait. people were like, oh, we're still gonna do this, we're still gonna do that, and I was like, I don't think there you're gonna be able to, you know. And then like maybe a month into the pandemic, if not less, like bands started rescheduling shit for like August and September, and I was like. I still don't think you're going to be able to to play that, yeah. you know? And now it's like... We did that just to keep stuff on the books in case it actually happened. Like yeah. Now I, we're getting to the point where, like, we're pretty much looking at next year. I yeah. Think. That's what I... I mean, the end of this year, but that's, like, really crossing our fucking fingers. Yeah, when I interviewed the dude from Buffalo Books, most of the stuff there and here, and Syracuse for that matter, he said that he doesn't think anything's coming around until next year again. Um, yeah. I almost... And it's, like, the experience is going to change, too, a lot, I think. Yeah, that's a big question mark that I've, you know, I've had discussions with a lot of people on this, obviously, about is, like, what's what's live music going to be like um, when it does come back around? And who's going to want to be the first band to go, to go on tour, too? You know yeah, what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't, like, I want to play shows, but I don't want to be that first band back where some weird shit happens. Yeah, and, like, like you're... I get sick, either. Like, well, <laughs> like yeah, there's... definitely. And that's and that's what's crazy. There, there still are some skeptics that are like, oh, it's not that serious. And it's not as bad as they said it was gonna be, and I'm like, yo, yeah, I'm like moron, like it's not as bad because it was gonna be is because we were fucking locked up in our houses for a month and a half. Like, imagine we're stopping wearing masks, brutal. Yeah, like look at all the fucking red states now. Like, like well, they're literally red because they're all fucking their cases are all (laughs) fucking. Let's be fair. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like, I mean, Florida and Texas. I haven't kept up the last couple days, but last week they were having record-breaking numbers every single day. I know, you know they started like rolling like they started I know in Texas they're closing bars again. Yeah. And that's like, a couple in... of mine that run bars like dude, I don't know if I can stay open now, like this fucking sucks. Like Yeah, it's crazy because when I went on that bike ride today I was like I went by like three different parts of our lake and like every place that I rolled by I mean granted it's outside and that's what I was telling my girlfriend, like they have they have like strict capacity r- rules for inside now where it has to be like fifty percent capacity or yeah. whatever they're doing. But I can't imagine there's any outside capacity laws because, like, every place I go by, and I'm not sure if it's like it there, too, but, like, all the they outside stuff. tables here a little bit, but, I mean, that doesn't mean... It, it, it doesn't mean a whole lot. Like, people are still... The amount of people that don't give a shit is shocking. And there's definitely, like, places I'll do deliveries, like, on the southern side of town where I was like, you're literally just rolling around like this shit didn't even happen. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, there's... Like, I mean, again, like, I think... I understand some people just being annoyed and, like, sick of being cooped up for a few months. And, like, I don't wear a mask everywhere I go. Like, if I'm somewhere in public, yeah, I definitely put it on. But, like, right. I'm not one of those douchebags who, like, rides my bike and has a mask on the entire time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if I, if I like, if I know I'm going to be around a lot of people, then, yeah, of course I'll put it on because I'm not trying to... I don't, I don't know that I'm going to really get it if I don't want to pass the germs on to somebody else who might get it, you know? Yeah, for um, sure. But, yeah, no, like, the people who said it wasn't as serious as it wasn't going to be, like... Imagine if everything would have been open the entire time. Like these oh, these spike God. numbers that we're seeing now would have been, you know, like it's it doubled at least. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, you know, um, but yeah. So it sounds like you guys aren't gonna have like so like all the bars that you you were affiliated with or, or were affiliated with like they can't do anything without live music, obviously. Like and uh, the auto bar actually opened up. They're opening up in limited capacity in the upstairs bar. Uh. Like, I actually popped in there a lot. Like, one of the guys I do, the guy that I do the webcast with, 
I popped in to see him on the way home last night. Like I was like, I was, I was curious as to how they were doing it there more to see what I hadn't thought of for Metro, like that they had in place. And like they're doing like limited, like they're temp scanning people coming in, like all that stuff. Everybody's wearing a mask and gloves. Like it's really couldn't be more above board the way they're doing it. It's awesome. Uh, but it's definitely like, it's gonna be a hard thing for people to, a hurdle for people to get over to actually go out, I think. Like, I think some, like, I think people of a certain age, obviously the people that are not wearing masks are gonna, don't give enough of a shit that they're gonna go. But it's definitely like, I'm still freaked out about bartending and I've been working doing deliveries where I still see people every day. Now, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to think about. I don't know. Now, I think the loophole here. And I'm not sure if every bar that I rolled by today on my ride was like this, but I'm pretty sure they are. I think the loophole here for a bar to be open is you have to like serve food. Like, but the bars there, they can they they're, they can be open now even if they don't serve food. Or yeah, also like the way the city does it too is like pretty much it's up to the like the governor will make the mandate for whatever the state like rollback part is, but it's also left up to the mayor where he wants to what he wants to do as far as the city is concerned. So we're generally like a week to two weeks behind what the rest of the state is doing. But I think it's also, I really more or less it's up to whether the business wants to actually open or not when it gets to that point. So I, I feel like, like I know Baltimore, you don't have to have food to be open if you're a bar. Pretty much every bar was doing like takeout or batch cocktails to go during the pandemic. If they had food, they did food to go obviously as well. But uh, yeah, there's no, it's pretty much like limited capacity but you can open now if you want to open. And um, kind of switching topics, but something that's obviously definitely still current. Um, when you and I were talking before, uh, before we started the interview, that is uh, obviously one of the things that I had kind of jotted down on my notes that I've been talking to every guest about lately is, is the Black Lives Matter resurgence recently. Yeah. And I hadn't even really thought about the fact that you were in Baltimore where the Freddie Gray stuff happened a couple years back. Yeah. So obviously Rochester has been pretty crazy with, you know, just a lot of protests and it, it got really, really insane for like a week there where like I thought, th- I thought everything was going to shut down again because like there was just like rioting and right. people looting. Um, but what's, what's the vibe been like there with everything? Uh, on that level, it's actually been really good. There's not been a lot of, there's been very minimal violence happening. There's been hardly any looting I, I like literally could probably count the stories i've heard on one hand at this point uh people are still getting out there a lot uh there's at least from what i've been able to see in the people in my friend circle that are involved in stuff like the little bits i've been able to do uh there's still a lot of protesting happening just about every day they're obviously a little bit smaller now that like people are going back to work and everything else that's happening but like it's still relatively active here which is awesome to see. Like it's, it's really good to see for the most part, the police department here hasn't been super combative. There was definitely some stuff. They brought the national guard in at one point and that was definitely a little concerning, but for the most part, it's honestly been really peaceful and a very positive thing, which is incredible to see. Like when all the Freddie Gray stuff was happening, I mean, obviously like the, the keg had been getting more pressurized to that point and that definitely was a thing that happened that was not I mean it was a, a really embarrassing thing for our city and a terrible thing to happen to someone like that should not have happened at all but even then like everything that happened pretty much simmered down pretty quick where this seems like the wave is going to keep going which is a really good thing to see and I think is a thing that should keep happening and like this is this should stay as part of the conversation like 
I shouldn't leave it. Like it should have been on the table well before now, but it's good to see that finally some progress is starting to get made nationally and people are aware of the problems that exist in this country, like which have been there for a long time. Yeah, and I guess you guys are kind of near the epicenter of, of where all the stupidity is taking place now with, with yeah, the guy in charge of D.C. from the dumbest man in the country. Great. <laughs> you know, but the funny thing, and it's not really funny, but, you know, I, I feel like a lot of this Black Lives Matter stuff would have happened. But, you know, if you think about, like, all the dumb shit that he said and done, like, he kind of inadvertently started the, the Me Too movement with, like, the, like grabbing by the pussy and all that, that oh, yeah. stupid shit comp st- that he said. And, like, all the racist people that are affiliated with him and some of the racist shit that he says it kind of drives a lot of the stuff that happens now so he didn't do it he didn't do a whole hell of a lot to help himself today either <laughs> i i was working today and riding my bike so i guess i, I didn't really see that but oh, he, he definitely retweeted like a video of i couldn't really tell what it was i i had heard of i honestly thought it was a joke when i woke up that i was talking about this on the webcast today this afternoon i woke up this morning because i was going to watch soccer and uh a friend of mine my buddy Josh had posted like a, it wasn't a meme, but it was basically like referencing like Trump liking screwdriver. And I was like, that's weird, but like really not out of the realm of anything that would, that a hardcore kid would post. Like, oh yeah, well Trump would if he was a hardcore kid, he's an idiot. And then I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do a quick Google search here because I'm curious. And I guess he had retweeted a video, I'm assuming in Florida or somewhere down south where it's like, a golf cart parade of a bunch of blue hairs like making America great again and the dude just starts screaming like white power on it like there's video it's brutal what the fuck <laughs> but it's just like and like he retweeted it and left it up for like however long he eventually took it down apparently but I was like wow man like you really just can't stop like it's obvious anyway already to me at least that you were a somewhat trying to keep it closeted racist where you're being essentially trying to start a race war in this country in my opinion a little bit yeah it's really crazy the shit that he's gotten away with and it really seemed like the impeachment was going to go through for a little while there but um, what if that guy wouldn't have just if he would have just testified and not wrote the damn book yeah i was telling my girlfriend i'm really curious to read that book and obviously him you know bashing it and suing the dude or, or threatening to sue the dude is like the best publicity yeah. that dude could have ever had for that book you know um, yeah. but you know, and, and again, with it being an election year, it's kind of one of those, you know, is it even really the lesser of two evils this year? Like I plan, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll catch flag for it, but I'm going to vote for Biden this year. Like I've not, I've honestly I'm never, I'm, I'm there with you. I you don't know. trust him much more either. Yeah. But. I'm, uh, I'm not registered. I'm, I'm registered like independent or whatever. So I, I, I tried to really not vote for either party, but I kind of learned in the last election that. Yeah. I, I registered you know, as Democrat for primarily having the access to local elections and being able to vote in those but it's a fucked up time man like i i hope a lot of good punk bands come out of this because that's pretty much all that that's the only silver lining i can see right now yeah that's what we were saying when he first got elected and i feel like not too much has come out of it since then but i feel like this year and that's what i keep referencing to people too like we're only halfway through this year and think about all the crazy shit that's happened you know like and every month feels like a year yeah like i was crazy. talking i was talking to my buddy who lives in los angeles um about like when kobe passed away you know what i mean and we were talking about how that seems like like two years ago now you know what i mean and oddly enough that was the first really 
What's that? I'll remember that. Like we were, and it was driving to New Jersey to play that day, and we're in the van, and our singer Akil's like, "Dude, look at this," and like shows me a tweet. I was like, "Like, did that just happen? Like, yeah. what the fuck?" I was like, "Maybe that's just like an unfounded thing." It's like, "Oh no, this is like real shit." Yeah, I was I was riding down the escalator at work, and I always check my messages on my phone when I do that because I have like thirty seconds to do it, and and I had like three text messages and. You know, I just Googled it, and I was like, holy fuck. Like, I, I called my girlfriend crying. Like, I was like, I don't even want to finish this shift at work. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I'm she, not even, like, a big basketball dude. Not even hit me. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, like, basketball has been, like, pretty much been my main thing that I've been into it since yeah. since I haven't been doing quite as much with hardcore. Um, but what's weird about that day, too, You're is that... You're a basketball guy then anyway, too. I remember that. Yeah, that's true. I've gotten a little more a little more obsessive about it. Um What's also weird about that day that he passed, though, was that was the first day that I heard somebody talking about, about COVID, too. You know, I was just like, yeah. Corona, like, what are you, going out for beer afterwards or whatever? You know, like, I didn't even know what the fuck she was talking about. Um, but no, just thinking about that, like, that all seems so long ago now, and it was, it was like, fucking, like, five months ago. But it's just yeah, crazy. A lot, a lot has happened. And the, and the thing is, like, NBA is supposed to start back up on July 30th, but even that, that's like a month away like not only who knows what's going to happen between now and then like with those guys but just in the world you know like a month like a month in a month like like it just seems like like who knows what what the next big thing that's going to happen is you know like it's just yeah it's been a really crazy year um that's what i hate seeing about all the like the rising cases in other places like this is all like not just even though it's not in maryland or baltimore i was like this like is still going to affect my livelihood just for the fact of like if there's a spike in Seattle or a spike in Denver or a spike in Dallas, like that's a city where a band can't go on tour, which is still going to limit whether bands will even go on tour. Like anyone that works in live music now, like, cause like pretty much all I've done is work for work for a band or work in a venue. Like even if I didn't have the venue option and went back to touring, I couldn't even do that because even they can't work still. The main thing that I've kind of brought up a few times on these podcasts too, and like I can't imagine how like a full time touring band, like especially like a band like a, like a Code Orange or a Terror, yeah, like how the fuck are they gonna have guarantees? It's gonna have to be like a door deal or something at this point. You know what I mean? Like, cause you're not gonna yeah. like there's just, there's so many like like variables now that I would I would not want to be a booking agent. I wouldn't want to be in a band. You know what I mean? Oh, there's just so much. No. There's just so many things. You know, like I, you know, I. I, I <laughs> I think the like the I was having this conversation with somebody the other day. I think what might wind up happening, which is going to be, I can understand it's going to be annoying for some bands to do it. I think it's just going to be a thing where no matter the size of room that you play is obviously going to have to be a limited capacity thing for whatever amount of time. I almost feel like if you're going to go see a live show, you're essentially going to wind up having to pay for like a VIP experience type thing where it's going to be a higher premium because you're going to have to meet that band's like, like if a band that gets a guarantee, like everyone, if you've booked a show or seen a band, like you've always, you've, everyone's talked shit on the amount of money that a band gets to play. But whatever, it's fine. I've seen it from both sides and like there's definitely a situation where like the band actually needs that amount of money to pay the people that are driving them, working for them, whatever else those people are still going to need jobs to work for that band. If that band's going to tour, like they're going to need at least 75% of like that. So you're still going to have to be covering that money for that guarantee. If it's actually a thing that they will happen again anytime soon. 
and it's going to have to be where you can only have up to probably at the most 50% of the people there to do it. So you're going to be paying at least double the money to see a band that you love play in front of you again. And it's also going to be an experience that's way different than the last time that you saw them in every single possible way. Yeah. And you have to do more, like it's going to have to be a thing where you do like some sort of meet and greet or like a special thing every day. And like, yeah, that's fucking annoying and it sucks sometimes. But if you want to continue having this as your livelihood, that's going to be a consolation you're going to have to make. Yeah, it's crazy, and I don't, I, you know, I, I shudder to make this comparison, but like kids that are, that are graduating high school this year, they graduated like post nine eleven. You know what I mean? Like they, they weren't alive for nine eleven. Yeah. Like I, I wonder what like the kids who are gonna graduate in like ten or fifteen years who, or not even like like more than that, like my son, you know what I mean? Who's two years old? Like what they're gonna, what's yeah. gonna be like for them like in a few years, like like post COVID? You know what I mean? Like things are gonna be. That's just like I, like, and then that goes back to our original discussion. Like when this shit first started with the COVID. Like, I think we all kind of thought, like, okay, maybe a month or two at most, you know what I mean? Like, even no, that I didn't seemed... think it would last as long, I'm full, completely honest. Yeah, and now it's like, they were talking about a second wave, and I've talked to many people about this now, like, we're not even through the first wave as far as I'm concerned, yeah. like, it's just, like, is there even going to be a second wave at this point, because the first wave is just going to continue on and on and on, like, because of the stupidity of some of these states, and obviously the asshole we were just talking about, you know? <laughs> so, it's, it's... It's interesting, you know, to say the yeah, least. It's, it's gonna be really. It's a. It's a very interesting time to be alive. Yeah. Every generation has like the one thing. That like, I don't want to say defines it, but there's like one monumental event that happens. We're of the age where now we've seen two, because obviously we're both alive during 9/11. Yeah. Happening. But yeah, it's it's gonna be. Having to see the world change twice is an interesting like concept to think about yeah definitely no i've 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 definitely spent time thinking about it it's you know we could we could have as i told uh the guy whose episode aired today kevin mahoney like we could have like a a three or four volume podcast just talking about this whole thing you know what i mean it's oh yeah and again that's how this whole podcast came about is because of the pandemic and the quarantine because i had so much time on my hands you know so i guess some good for some people like me has come out of this but it's still you know like even that like i was talking about when I first started doing this, I wanted to be able to interview people in person eventually and, you know, start doing stuff at shows. And now it's like, I got the, the, the buddy that I referenced from LA coming into town next month. And like California's a hot spot now too. And, yeah. and I, I was joking around, but not at the same time. I wasn't like, I was like, I was like, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be hanging out with me next month and we could probably do the interview in person. I was like, but you're going to definitely have to be wearing a mask, you know, <laughs> for one. Yeah. And the other thing, that's why I was like, I was like, man, I don't even know if I want to be, that's nerve-wracking like i almost want somebody like that to quarantine for two weeks before i i see him face to face and i don't think he's gonna be here for two weeks you know right so it's just it's it's nerve-wracking you know i'm Um, getting on a plane right now would be terrifying yeah i know people that have flown too yeah that's full extra five layers of shit that i don't want to think about on top of that was something that i was thinking about too because i was like um like people i've interviewed um, from other cities, I'm like, man, I, I have enough money saved now where if, if they're like, oh, we gotta do this shit in person, like, I could fly out to California and, and bang out, like, six interviews in a day, yeah. but, like, I'd have to go through a fucking, a couple different planes to get there, you know, and it's like, I wouldn't want to fucking do that. Like, my girlfriend was already like, if you have the money and you're able to do it, you know, just be careful, but I'm like, I don't think so. Like, I wouldn't want to fucking fly right now, not even for a podcast that I'm not making any money on, obviously, you know? So, uh, but yeah, speaking of podcasts, um, 
let's get a little plug in for for all the ones that, you, that you're involved with right now on like your webcast yeah. and stuff that was like i made like a giant list of shit i should probably start doing podcast wise too but I'll, that's not even gonna be part of this but uh <laughs> yeah i do a hockey podcast with uh sparky that used to play in dying fetus and misery index and our homie anthony who plays in a band called brats called hate the league uh, we have obviously not recorded an episode for a little while. Uh, I think we're going to try and start again soon since hockey is coming back. But uh, basically, we just talk about like punk metal, hardcore, and hockey. I generally get really mad a lot. <laughs> and then Anthony like, also gets mad as well. Sometimes at me, I try and make him nuts. Uh, start. I'm working on the match game one that I mentioned earlier. And then me and my friend Gerard, who I've worked with, he worked at the coffee shop with me. We worked together at the Ottawa. He's been one of my best friends for like 15 years almost. But uh, we do like a, I guess like a Facebook live show that we all started doing on Instagram live called We Are Not Your Dad. That it's basically just us attempting to give life advice that we wouldn't take ourselves <laughs> and generally give life lessons from our mistakes that we've made in the almost 40 years that we've been alive. So yeah, there's doing that, still doing the Olympics, still doing edit. Uh, who knows what else? We'll see. Have you guys been practicing with your bands at all, or are you just kind of laying low uh, with we, that? I think we're going to try and start doing Neolithic practices again soon, because I know Mitch wants to start writing. Uh, and it started writing songs probably about a month and a half ago. We've only gotten together maybe, like, I guess, like, four times at most since this started. But we've all been, like... It's like not even all of us are there when we do it. It's only like three or four of us at most, if even that. But uh, we're probably going to try and have an EP come out that we can record it, hopefully by the end of the year. But we'll see what happens What happens there. I mean, we only got to play four shows on the one that just came out. So Now, is, is that on Flat Spot, or you guys are doing something on Flat Spot eventually? Uh, uh, no, the, the last EP came out on Flat Spot, and then I'm assuming the next one will come out on Flat Spot too. That's I'm the new guy, so I don't know all the label ins and outs, but uh, Shay gave me a Flat Spot t-shirt a couple weeks ago, so I feel like that's probably still going to be the deal. <laughs> yeah, Flat Spot's a killer label, man. They, they've definitely yeah, put out... a great bands on it. Yeah, yeah. One of, the, one of the bands that they put a record out for that I feel like didn't really get their due uh, from California, Misery, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. that LP was, was, was really good. I never got a chance to see those guys live. I, don't, I, I think there's so many bands that I feel like... like didn't break up just so they kind of leave a door open to play shows again type thing. Yeah, I, I think nobody really breaks up anymore, I don't think. That's, well, I mean, what's the point? Because you're going to do a reunion show at, like, This Is Hardcore, one of those fests There's eventually anyways. Yeah, so, no, that's, that's, you know. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's pretty much what I have left for questions. Do you have anything else you want to add that we didn't uh, discuss or anything like that? I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it all. We, we definitely, even with the tangents, but I think we... I think we hit all the spots and it's going to be dropping another benefit shirt in the next week or two. We haven't decided who it's going to go to yet. And there might be a handful of ones from the last one we just did. And I think that's it. Uh, shout out Baltimore hardcore shout out to all the homies. Uh, yeah, everybody stay safe. Uh, mask. Don't be a dickhead. What's, what's, what's the link for people to find, uh, the, the end of benefit merch, I guess. Is it, is it... Uh, it's on our big cartel. I could not tell you the, the address of it, but if you, if you have a computer, use Google and just search ended big cartel, all the merch is on there. Uh, I think we're probably going to try and figure out something to do with the merch that we have for United blood at some point. Cause we have it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely like 
we won't be selling any of our own merch for a while. It's only going to be benefit stuff for as long as we put anything up. So cool. Oh, and also Akil from Edit is going to start doing a podcast on the Hard Times Network soon as well. Oh. So keep an eye out for that. I know they were, I think they have four episodes recorded. It's called Up the Blunks. I heard a little piece of one. If, if you were familiar with Akil at all, you know that he is a very loud, opinionated gentleman, much like myself, and funny as fuck. So that podcast is going to be sick. So whenever it drops, please check it out. That wraps up episode 17. I want to thank Patrick Martin for doing this interview with me. As always, I'd like to thank Rob Antonucci for all the help and an extra special thanks to my family for all the support. The next few episodes will feature interviews with Jim Byrne, Mark Miller, and a Stanfast deep dive with Rory Van Groll and Brian Van Etten. As always, check out EnterpriseHardcorePodcast.com and give us a follow on Instagram at EnterpriseHardcorePodcast to keep up to date with all the information. See everyone real soon, and stay safe.